Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. In the second episode of our two-part mini-series on redundancies and following on from a terrific insight into the law and process governing this topic, we're delighted to now take a look at what you might call the softer side of redundancies as we explore the communication and support side of this tough challenge. And to speak to us about this, we're delighted to be joined by a familiar face, Liam Burton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. Thanks for joining us again, Liam. How are you? I'm very well, Owen. Thank you. Stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great, thanks, Owen. Enjoying the lovely balmy weather that we're having at the moment. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely hot out there. So we'll we'll try to jump through it and get through as much as we can so we can get a little bit of that sun. Um, look, so let's jump right in. So welcome to yourself first, Liam. Um, and again, look, obviously we're acknowledging that these redundancy processes are always tough for, for all parties. Um, so Liam, I suppose first question is, Although, look, these things happen, uh, and they're usually, uh, I'd say that maybe optimistically, but I'm not sure how we how we go around that. I, I suppose they're usually kind of a last resort or a necessity or something. Um, how important is it to recognize, though, Liam, that employees obviously will need kind of empathy and support through this process, no matter what the reason or the the, the reason for the redundancies may be? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge area, Owen, and I suppose redundancies, as we know, bring permanent change uh, to organizations and to the lives of working people. Um, and I think that's something we have to be absolutely cognizant of, that there's always a human being. And while the role is, 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 is becoming redundant, um, employees are affected in, in huge ways uh, by redundancies, not just those who are departing by means of redundancy within organizations, but as we discussed, people who are uh, left behind within the organization. So it's a huge um, impact on people's lives. Um, I think it's so important that we show an empathetic and supportive approach um, at all stages, uh, pre, in, in the, I suppose, the, the, the strategizing or in the project planning piece, um, and also post-process in terms of both offering supports to people who are departing the organization, but also those who are who, who are staying within the organization. And I suppose on a couple of things, communications is really, really important. And I think it's important that organizations think long and hard about how they believe its employees would like to be communicated with in in the event that they have to, to, to plan redundancies. And what would be expected of an organization from a reputation point of view uh, what are the do's and don'ts? Because you will be dealing with organizations, employees who will be anxious, who will be nervous. Um, they'll be worried from an employment point of view, from an employability point of view. They'll be worried about financial aspects. Um, in many cases, they'll be, be worried and cognizant of their self-worth. 
or their self-esteem because a huge amount of our, our self-worth and our self-esteem is inextricably linked to our job and our role. So if you're in a casual conversation, someone's saying, well, what do you do? I'm an engineer, I'm an accountant, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse. So people place a huge value on, on the role that they perform within the organizations, and rightly so. So I think it's incredibly important um, that we understand from a human point of view, the challenges that employees are facing around this. Will I have a job? Uh, will I be able to pay my mortgage? Um, what about my children's education fund? Um, will I be able to meet my outgoings? Um, what about planning for the future? Um, different things that may be coming down the line. So it's an incredibly important area. I think most organizations won't give it the, the thought and the planning that is that is required, but it's it's really really important that we understand and have an empathetic and supportive approach to the challenges, the real challenges that people are going through in this process, and that we we map it out very carefully for for our organisations employees. Hundred percent, and it's similar to so many things we say. It's always people first, and then I suppose go from there, strategize. Um, I suppose Mary, then on the kind of on the communication side of things. Um, are there kind of set foundations, Mary, when it comes to the communication process? Any set process, any best practice even? Is it a bit of kind of do whatever you feel is right? Or what's, I suppose, what's your perspective on it, Mary? There's no set process really um, in terms of how you communicate it, other than there's in, say, a collective redundancy situation, a mandatory 30-day consultation period where certain things must be discussed. But the how you announce something, the way in which you communicate with those affected individuals, the way in which you write um, to them and, and document the process, uh, that's not prescribed. Although I guess organisations learn from the mistakes of others who find themselves in the WRC defending the decisions that they made. And so often though those WRC hearings when it comes to um, redundancy, as we talked about with Barry Crushell last week, um, you know, very much focus on that, how we did it and how we communicated and how fair that actually was. So to Liam's point, which is so important, the communication piece is key. You have to remember when you're dealing with the redundancy situation, you know, in, in most cases, you'll be making an announcement. And from my perspective, I believe that the most senior people in the business ought to be the people to deliver that message right at the outset. Um, with other managers standing shoulder to shoulder with them in the sense that we're not afraid to put forward what we're doing here. Now, I know in the background for many, many managers, they have great fear and anxiety themselves about making such an announcement, um, you know, knowing the impact that it's going to have on the people that they speak to. Nevertheless, I still believe that they need to stand up and be the people to make that announcement. Uh, and, you know, often we would support and coach our clients around, um, you know, making that announcement, helping them with their script, helping them plan what they're going to say, helping them practice um, what that message is going to be. 
And, you know, believe me, it is not easy. And, you know, managers really, really fear it. That being said, their fear cannot be the primary focus of how that message is delivered because we're supporting those managers then to, you know, accept and feel that fear that they have themselves. They've got to do it anyway, one way or the other. Um, And then their focus has to be on how to communicate this message, which is horrible, which may will be received in different ways by different people, will have a different impact, good and bad, on people's lives. Um, And their focus has to change from me, I'm frightened, me, I don't want to do this, me, I'm mortified, me, I don't um, want to face these people because I feel I've let them down. These are all natural human emotions, but you've got to switch from that into, you know, you, this is how this is going to potentially affect you. And the focus from the entire management team needs to be on making this process as seamless as possible um, from an employee perspective and that they're every decision that's ultimately made is as fair as it can possibly be and that that's being communicated right from the outset and that the communication is very respectful and very mindful of those that it affects, albeit that the message is tough, albeit that it's going to be received differently, albeit that some people might jump up and down and say, fantastic, I'm going to go traveling now. I'm going to set up that business that I always wanted to set up. I now have a nice little nest egg. I can retire early. And those people who are absolutely devastated, how am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to pay school fees for my children? How am I going to pay my loans? I'm on the breadline as I am. I don't know how I'm going to continue to pay for this accommodation. Um, You know, there are some very real things that happen for people and you have to be mindful of both. Definitely. I suppose it's perfect segue on to my next question because I suppose although there's such a wide spectrum of how people feel and how you can do things, I suppose, Mary, and I'll come to both of you for this, but I'll come to yourself first, Mary, if that's right. Do you have any examples of companies either getting this very right or getting this very wrong? Like I know we've had a lot of high profile ones in the past couple of years in the headlines and stuff, so we don't necessarily need to name previous clients, all that kind of stuff. But just generally, do you have any kind of experience or examples of people getting this right or people getting this very wrong? I think I think Twitter probably is a good example of, you know, getting it wrong, taking a US approach to a global workforce and not thinking about the different jurisdictions in which they were working in. Um, and, you know, sometimes a US company um, that doesn't really understand the kind of protections that are in place in, in other jurisdictions and, and consult mandate consultation periods can get things wrong if they're moving very fast and making decisions uh, in isolation to the rest of the organization. So that could be a a really good example of an organization that got it wrong from an employee perspective. But I guess it depends on the perspective you're coming from. Did Elon Musk achieve what Elon Musk wanted to achieve Yeah, I'd say he did. Will the culture be more like the culture that he wished to create 
going forward into the future? Yeah, I'd say it will be. But what's the reputation of uh, Twitter now X, I believe? I actually haven't looked at X um, since since Twitter became X, I haven't I haven't actually been on Twitter myself personally, um, so I don't know if there's a new look or feel or, or how that's all working. But I've heard criticism of it, um, and who knows who knows what will happen in the future. So that might be an example of how the employees weren't front and center of uh, a communication process. Uh, can I point to anything where the employees are jumping up and down and applauding a company? No. Let's be let's be real. Um, you're never going to have a workforce saying, "Great job, well done here," um, because it it is going to have an impact on the organisation. And no matter how an organisation chooses to do it, whether it's a tap on the shoulder and two years' pay, which some of the large corporates do, uh, and somebody is just missing from they're on in, um, you know, that that is an approach or whether it's a, a collective announcement, town hall style uh, announcement and, and consultation uh, process with representatives or, or trade unions. That's another way of doing it. But look, it's I don't think anybody who goes through these processes is going to expect any kind of praise how they've done it but you can do it incredibly badly uh, and get yourself into a lot of trouble um, and I think you as a manager as a HR practitioner must accept that when you're going into a process like this um, that there's going to be a lot of anger and resentment and upset whether that's an individual redundancy whether that's a collective redundancy uh, you can expect that it's a period of high emotion, uh, high intensity and difficulty for those concerned. Um, so I don't know if that quite gives you what you want to do, but um, it's, it's certainly not, it's certainly not it's an easy process, that's for sure. 100% and I suppose that's, that, that answer in itself answers a lot of things coming off the back of that. So I suppose kind of similar to your question to yourself, Liam, it probably is a case where you can try your best with these things. You can get the transparency piece. I know, for instance, maybe Stripe. I know the Collison brothers were very open and transparent with their communications, but at the end of the day, it's still a redundancy process. And if something is necessarily on communicated very well, but might be on, I don't know, for example, shaky legal foundations, this can go wrong pretty quickly. And so it kind of is just try your base, get try your best and get the main things right and not, not be open for any pat on the back or praise, as Mary says. Uh, absolutely, and I would very much echo what, what what Mary has said. And I think a key word that I'd use um, on is fairness. And most employees and most people in society have a very innate understanding and acceptance of fairness. So, you know, if there's been a shock to the system or the company's turnover has plummeted or they've lost a major contract, I, I think most people will understand, okay, changes have to be made. And like Mary said, you know, no one is going to come and say, well, look, you know, we anticipated this, we understand the, the, the reasons for it, so on and so forth. But I think if people believe that the company haven't um, given other options due, due thought and consideration, whether that's, you know, um, 
reduction in bonuses or you know pausing planned salary increases or gone back to suppliers to see you know can we renegotiate better deals or talk to their real estate company in terms of what they're being charged for their for their real estate i i think there'll be very real anger um so i think at a minimum people will expect a fair process um they'll expect the the communication to be succinct and concise um they'll understand that you know they won't know on day one exactly what's going to happen but to be given a clear picture in terms of of, of where they are um and, and one of the the points i'd make and it it's it maybe the flip side of, of what what mary was was alluding to sometimes organizations are too exercised regarding what can we say to the marketplace what can we say to you know the stock exchange what can we say to suppliers and to our customers outside there well you know, make sure you get your your communication with your employees right and succinct, and and understand that piece, um, because I think sometimes organisations can be almost too concerned about the, the extra. I understand that's important, the external piece and customers and, and and so forth, but it's really really important that we try and communicate in a fair, transparent, objective manner. And there are examples of, of where things have gone wrong. I've, I'm aware, for instance, on you know, myself in relation to uh, an organization which had four sites and they were making an announcement exactly at the same time. So they'd, they'd done this from a chronology point of view and everything was planned, the, the person to communicate, they'd done their role plays, everything was ready to go at 11 a.m. on a chronological basis, if that's a word, between the four different sites. And then something happened to the person who was to deliver the message. And so in three sites, the, the message was beautiful, well, beautifully delivered. It was delivered in the manner in which it was meant to be delivered. And then in the fourth site, the person stood up at 11.07. And when they went into the room, everyone in the room knew exactly what that person was going to say because their friends via mobile phones, etc., had communicated the message to them. So there are practical things that you need to consider whether it's a meeting room, whether it's you know mobile phones, whether you know we live live in a different world now, where you know communications can be transposed in a minute. So you've really got to think how, because you only get one one shot at communicating that that important message to your employees, who will be anxious, who will be concerned, who will be in denial possibly, and you know, will be very frustrated. So it's really, really important that you think, who am I communicating this message to? What is the message? And how are we going to communicate this in a fair and transparent fashion? And that's not always clear on. How will I do it? Will I do it online? Will I do it via um, Teams or via Zoom or via Skype? And the technological challenges that you could have with that method do I do it in person? How do I bring people to one to one site? Um, and these are not straightforward. They're not straightforward things that can just sort of say, well, we'll do it this way. Well, what about? And I would encourage employers to think, well, what about technology? What about if something goes wrong? What could go wrong? And I think if, if employers have that thought process of, you know, what if? What if? What if? Um, I think employees in a very difficult situation will at least say well look 
it's clear that thought went into the process. And that's something. Because as Mary said, you know, you're not going to be getting pats on the back for a well, well-run process. Nor, nor would we expect that. Yeah, and it's a great point, Liam. It's actually something I really wanted to ask as well that's kind of related to this. I suppose, what about then, just going on the, the what about and the what ifs, what about then the employees that aren't necessarily going to be affected by redundancies? I mean, a lot of what you're saying there still, I suppose, applies to those, the wider group. I mean, they want to see transparency because they're going to know that even if they're in a different department to their best friend, they might know that their best friend is up for redundancy and they don't want to be completely clueless about what's going on at the other side of the business. It's still within the business. So yeah. I suppose there is there is an importance there around communicating to the wider employee base, even if they're not part of the, the redundancy program. It, it's so important, Owen, and I think you've mentioned a, a very, very important point. Albeit that the person's individual role is not impacted. In other words, that they may, their role may not be at a risk. They are affected because the friend that they've shared the canteen with for 10 years or possibly that they carpool with or that they know socially or that they've built a really close relation, working relationship with, all of a sudden uh, that person potentially in a couple of weeks' time might, might not be within the organization. So again, it's important, going back to the last point, who am I communicating with? What is the message? How will I communicate that message? And other employees within the organization are key stakeholders in this because those, organi- those employees um, are going to continue within the organization. And so it's really, really important that a lot of thought goes into it because there is survivor syndrome and people you know, feel anxious. Okay, there's been a cut within that department so some of the projects that I might be working on are going to be affected because there's going to be less projects. So does that mean I need to get my CV out and start looking for a new position? So I think, again, I'd encourage organizations to think about that cohort of people who are going to remain within the organization. And also, from a future-proofing point of view, What's the organization going to look like in 12 months' time? What's it going to look like in 18 months' time? What are the type of skills that are going to be developed and and needed within the organization? How are you going to develop those? So for the people, I think it's it's about managing the reputation of the organization internally as well and saying, okay, look, this is not an easy day. Exactly what, there's nothing nice about this. We're not going to, you know, sugarcoat it and say that this is a positive development it's a challenging time for our organization. Here's where we are now. Here are the decisions we're, we're taking. Here's why we're taking them. But here's where we believe we're going to be in six to 12 months' time. And here's how you're going to play a role in that development. And I think if you can think of things like that and communicate them like that, um, you will achieve more buy-in from the people who are staying within the organization. Definitely. There's a couple of things there, more long-term things we might actually touch touch on again later in the conversation with yourself, Liam. But I suppose, Mary, the big obvious question, I think, coming off what Liam has said there, Mary, is the culture piece. And I know there's no direct answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway, how difficult can it be to maintain a positive culture after particularly collective redundancies? And how do we do it? The second part there is the difficult piece that has no answer. But I'd like to hear your thoughts anyway about how much of a challenge it is. Yeah, I wouldn't say it has no answer, but it's it's a bit, more challenging mm. because you know you may have fundamentally rocked 
um, the foundations of the organisation, depending on the scale uh, of the redundancy programme, for instance. Um, so, you know, closing departments, closing a line, um, making hundreds of people redundant, that has an impact and, and there's no way around that impact. But as Liam says, the transparency, the fairness, the respect that's shown to people, the way in which departing employees feel about the whole process has an impact on those who continue to stay. And I think out of every redundancy programme, you will often see that good people, people that you wish to retain, uh, do get their CVs out and do move on because they have become insecure in the role. And while you will do everything you can or you ought to be thinking about everything you can do to put your arms around people after the process um, and painting the picture of the future, as Liam has described, um, understanding and giving people an opportunity to express how they feel, uh, is important in terms of moving forward because it is akin to grief. What you know, what you trust, uh, what you've based many of your own personal decisions on are tied in with where you work. And for many of us, that is very true. You know, we look around us and say, you know, I work here in Dublin and I live on the north side. I don't want to travel to the south side for a job. I'm, I've built my life around a particular area, around a particular role, around a particular commute, around particular people even. And if those people are gone or things become different for me, well, maybe I won't want to be there anymore. And so creating that new future is really important. And this is where change management skill and knowledge. I mean, you need change management skill and knowledge right from the outset to manage the restructuring process in the first place. When it comes to, say, restructuring a, an organization which is going to involve um, roles being made redundant, the roles being made redundant is part of a process. It's not the whole process. And the whole process may have several steps to it. And so whatever is being planned, whatever the strategy, whatever the organisational goal or aim is, whether the redundancies have come about through external factors, maybe like COVID, maybe like a recession or a depression like we had in Ireland, you know, for many years, those things externally might mean an organization has no choice. But there are other times an organization is, you know, moving, you know, deciding to change its HQ or um, deciding that they're no longer going to produce something in a certain location or, or making decisions that don't mean that the organization are in any form of financial trouble, but they've made a global decision somewhere and have decided to do things differently. They might close an entire site, an entire factory, they might close an, an entire uh, building and decide that they're going to do things differently. So, you know, it's, you need your change management skills to effectively manage any change process that involves downsizing, job mm. losses, um, job cuts, changes to the labour force. 
Definitely. And you've painted a great picture with his unmarried that there is a before, a middle, and an after. So I suppose, Liam, question yourself then, obviously, I mean, the before is the planning. The middle is really only actually doing the redundancies themselves or going through the program. The after is, is obviously key as well. So I suppose, Liam, when it comes to that aftermath, it sounds like a, a bit of a doomsday word, but when it comes to after the redundancies have happened, I mean, you need to be building in things like learning and development, organizational design, succession planning. There's a few things that shouldn't be forgotten either, Liam, in the whole holistic approach to these things. Uh, absolutely. And just as you were saying that, Owen, I, th- I think you need to be building in positivity afterwards um, because this is a hugely emotional event within an organization and w- within employees' lives, but both those who are departing by, by means of redundancy and those who are r- remaining. So what's going to be different about the organization? What's going to be positive? Um, how are we going to get employees who are hurting and in some cases almost grieving for the the employees that they've lost. Um, How are they going to be engaged? Um, How are they going to be motivated? Um, How will they cope with a different um, structure? Um, So it's really, really important that um, the employee engagement systems are right, um, that you look at things like learning and development and what the new organization is, is going to look like and the skill set that is required going forward and that you plan for that. And sometimes organizations don't plan. So when I was saying earlier about what's your organization going to look like, six months, 12 months, what are the skill sets that, that are going to be needed to change and how will you develop the existing workforce? And where is the organization going and how are you going to achieve buy-in from the employees who are, who are staying with you? And that's massively important. Um, because in, in some cases, you know, some of the roles would have been made redundant. Some of the, the duties and the work, you know, it won't just, you know, go into thin air. Sometimes you'll be going to people and saying, well, look, you know, some of that work you're now going to have to do. And how are you going to train those um, employees? How are they going to, you know, take to the new roles or the new duties? So there's a lot to consider. But it, it's really, really important from a recruitment and, and retention point of view. Uh, once you've made the decision and you've you've made redundant the roles which you plan to make, that you maintain the the existing workforce that are there post redundancy, um, and often that that can change and that can lead to very very dramatic consequences for organisations, where um, they've inter- implemented a redundancy process, and then they've lost key people post redundancy from their organisation because for the very reasons that Mary has, has discussed. So it's, it's really, really important that organizations stay close to people who are staying within the organization during the redundancy process and that they're measuring the, the temperature of people as they go forward in terms of how they're feeling towards the organization. Yeah, I think it's a good point, um, Liam. And I do recall one situation where I was involved in in managing a, a collective redundancy process, and and one of the employees, you know, as we spoke to him about his role remaining, cried, and I I sat back and said, "Look, are you okay? Um, I know this has been a difficult month." is everything okay with you? And he begged um, me and the manager sitting in the room to make his role redundant. 
because he actually wanted to go back home. He wasn't from Ireland. He wanted to go back home. And for him, the redundancy proposals offered him an opportunity to go home, to live his life where he wanted to live his life rather than live and work in Ireland. Um, and it was just, it, it was particularly poignant because, you know, for me, I sat there really feeling sorry for him. You know, we thought we were delivering good news to him, but that isn't how he took it. And so the surprises that can come with the redundancy program uh, are many. And, you know, you you might think, well, you know, Lee, Mary and Owen are in a redundancy pool together. And we assume that Mary, because her role is saved, is going to be thrilled. But maybe I had another plan and I had started building in my mind the plan for my future that didn't involve staying in this company. So think about how that employee is going to feel the following day when the people that he's worked with are now gone. He did get extra duties that we were talking to him about that. Um, and he transformed in terms of somebody who was, you know, a very positive individual within that organization to someone who was angry and bitter. Um, and that continued actually for quite some time because he couldn't accept the decision that the company had made to retain his role. So it, it's a really peculiar, it's a really peculiar period for organizations. You know, sometimes you can have a very long lead in time as well to redundancy. So it can be agreed almost like a year or two years ahead of a redundancy that roles are going to be made redundant. Um, and people are going to work side by side during that period. Uh, some who will continue for a period of time and, and others who will continue into the long term. Um, and it, it creates that very strange mix in an organization where people are continuing to work but don't feel valued. And, and that can have a significant impact on culture too. So I think it really is important that an organization is thinking very, very carefully about what they're doing and how they're doing it, how they're communicating the speed and the scale and the size. There's lots and lots and lots of things to think about, um, particularly when it comes to collective redundancies. Definitely. And, and that's a great point, Mark. There's so much it touches on, so much to think of and so many different outcomes and everything. So probably a tough, a tough question to finish on. Um, but I suppose it's tradition on, on the podcast that we do finish with this one. I'll come to both of you and I'll come to yourself first, Liam. So I suppose if somebody's listening that might be managing a redundancy process now or wants to be ready for when it, when it does happen, uh, there might be a HR manager, HR, I suppose anyone at any level might be wanting to be ready for, uh, for a redundancy process if it does come. Any kind of final advice, Liam, on the key foundations, key things to look out for, even any final words of wisdom on it? Yeah, sure. I, I, I mean, simple things like, you know, what is the business case prompting the, the, the redundancy? Or, you know, what, what is the shock to the system? Or, or what, what has changed within the organization or within the company that, that's, that's prompting you to have to go down this road? And sometimes when Mary and I talk to clients, 
they're not really clear regarding what's the business case, what's, what's, what's the impact that's impacting the organization into having to make this, this decision. Um, I think you need to think very, very carefully regarding what your organization currently looks like and what you want it to look like post-redundancy. And what is the skill set you need? What are the roles you need? What work is, is currently being carried out? What work will be carried out post-redundancy? And you need to almost map who you're going to have and who will have the skill set to perform the, the various roles. You need to think long and hard about the communications piece. And sometimes it's very interesting what, what Mary has said regarding who's going to deliver the message. And sometimes um, the person who is appointed to deliver the message mightn't be the most skillful communicator. And that can be a problem on, right? So you really, really need to think carefully. Um, there's very senior people in, in the organization who are very, very good uh, within their roles, but are they going to be good communicating this sensitive and positive, uh, sensitive m message to people um, within an organization at, at a point in time? So it, there's a few core things. And the final thing I'd say is don't forget about the human being. There's a human being who's anxious, who's nervous, who may have a mortgage, who will have financial commitments, who will have invested a lot in your organization and will have given a lot of themselves and of their family. And I just really think that's, that's very important to remember. Mm, same question to yourself then, Mary. Anything, anything to add? Any final thoughts? Yeah, well, for HR practitioners out there that are uh, coordinating such processes, um, don't be surprised when your senior leader who you've given the script to, who you've prepared, panics on the day and goes, goes off peached, says something they shouldn't do, starts elaborating, starts feeling bad, takes questions from the floor on the day of the announcement. You've got to really, really carefully plan and control what is and isn't being said. Um, because in those moments, managers can make things a hell of a lot worse than they already are. And, you know, I, I have seen time and time again, you know, where, you know, there are actual scripts pre prepared for managers. And for, for some un reason unbeknownst to me, they go off on a tangent. They can't stick to it. Um, and so it's really important that, you know, when you're coordinating these processes, that one, you're very, very clear yourself about what can and can't be done, what can, how the language that we can use. For instance, you know, when we talk about a redundancy proposal, it is a proposal, not a fait accompli. And a redundancy proposal is the management team or whoever have put together a proposal and they're now putting that to the employees for the employees input. Um, and because roles may be affected, you're going to take into consideration various alternatives as presented by either the representatives or, or a, a, some kind of representatives from the staff body. Um, and it's really, really important that you're you're coordinating this as a HR practitioner very very carefully getting the advice you need it's better to have the advice you need at the start of the process when you're 
starting to talk about this and planning your communications rather than in the middle when you have the union jumping up and down or you have uh, employees, you know, absolutely um, angry and vocal or going out to the media or, you know, behaving in unpredictable ways. The more time you spend thinking these things through what can and does go wrong um, without being pessimistic, it's still a process that you're going to go through. But the, the rigor is in um, the early days of planning as opposed to during. Once you're in the process, it should all be seamless. You don't really start the process until you have the scripts, until you know what you're going to say, until you're clear what your proposal is, and until you're clear what your business case is and your justification is, until you have decided how you're going to select roles and until you've decided what roles are information. Don't start it without having a clear idea about uh, the redundancy package and offer it because you'd be surprised sometimes you're sitting in a meeting and the question comes and the decision isn't actually made. We don't know whether we're paying statutory or more and and very little thought has gone into it and so it's really important that this is all thought through before you, you say anything to anyone about anything. Definitely, and it's so important to get that advice at the start. So we do really appreciate the advice today from Mary and Liam. So thank you for a very insightful and enjoyable discussion on what we know is a very popular topic when it comes to what we want to, what people want to hear from us about, but obviously a very challenging topic as us. We do really appreciate that. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Some other good news, if you do want to hear more on this topic, we do have a webinar at the end of this month with Barry Crushell uh, of Crushell & Co. Law at Work an expert in this area along with Mary. Uh, so do feel free to to register for that. Again, free advice from the experts that you won't get anywhere else. Um, if you are enjoying these episodes, do please feel free to share them with your colleagues, friends and family, and even better, if you do enjoy these, you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on. We'd really appreciate the old five stars or four stars, whatever it may be, to be honest, but give us five stars. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management, you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Liam. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.